0: Uh, my name is Quigley, I'm the senior leader here at Mount Helena Community Church, and I'll be sharing a message with you, but I just want to let you know if you are a guest with us today, uh, we do have a welcome packet out there at the Welcome Center for you. If you wanted to get to know us a little bit more, learn a bit, little bit about us, uh, we would, ap- would appreciate the opportunity to do that. Uh, I'm thankful today, I was thinking about it this morning, that um, I'm thankful that we're still gathering. We're actually one of the only exceptions to the rule. And so I'm appreciative of that, and uh, I think as long as we can do so, uh, we should be uh, glad that we can, and uh, many of our brothers and sisters around the world have never had that freedom, and uh, I definitely appreciate having it. My motto throughout has been, uh, be neither foolish nor fearful, or be be neither fearful nor nor foolish, and I appreciate your ongoing cooperation so that we can minimize the risk and keep getting together. uh, It's been a challenging time for sure, but I appreciate you guys and glad you chose to join us today. Also appreciate those of you who tuned in online. We continue to work out the kinks of our online uh, situation, but it seems to be getting smoother and better all the time and and glad to be able to do that. You ready? Fasten your seatbelts and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day that you have made. Lord, we rejoice in it. We rejoice in you. We're glad for what you've done. We're glad for how you have called us. You called us into relationship with you. You have called us into adoption and to be a part of your family through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we're grateful today for that. So we praise you today, Lord, and pray that you would be glorified as we look at your scripture in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, last week we looked at the concept of thanksgiving according to the Scripture. We dissected the word thanks or thanksgiving and uh, really to prepare ourselves for the holiday and what it actually means to be thankful according to the Bible. We looked at the thanksgiving offering of the Jews, which was a peace offering called the Todah. We talked about that. Uh, more specifically, and what I want to um, be sure we're reminded of as well, is uh, we looked in the New Testament when we see the word thankfulness or giving thanks, particularly when Jesus took the bread and he took the cup and he gave thanks. We looked at that word there, eucharistos. He, 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 uh, we dissected that word, eu, meaning well, charis, meaning grace. And when you're looking at the definition of the words, uh, giving thanks or thanksgiving, we see that it's to declare or acknowledge that God's grace works well. To, to be thankful is directly connected to the concept of God's grace. To give thanks is to thank God for what he has done, how he's had grace upon us. We, that's where we get the word eulogy. You know, eucharistos, we talked about the word eucharist. In some of the more traditional churches, you'll hear that when it comes to communion. It's that giving thanks to God. A eulogy would be to, you know, it's you logos. It's, it's a word. It's a good word. When we're, we're giving a, a funeral and laying someone to rest, we would give a eulogy. We would speak well of them is really what that means. Uh, we looked at Uh, Thanksgiving being a reciprocation of the grace of God. When God gives us something, when he's gifted us with his grace, he's brought that gracefulness to us, our natural response, or even when another person has been gracious to us, our natural response is to reciprocate Thanksgiving to that grace. It's our posture before God we looked at last week. We come into his gates with thanksgiving with that sense of acknowledgement of the grace of God that we can even be in his presence. And we looked at that being thankful in all circumstances. We see that Paul was thankful no matter what was going on in his life. And that's where I want to pick up uh, the conversation this week is, you know, we were talking about declaring that God's grace works well. And, And I think it's important for us as Christians from time to time to remind ourselves of grace. What is grace? What is the meaning of grace? What does it mean in the Bible when it talks about grace? And I want our main passage that we're going to read from today will be 2 Corinthians chapter 12 will be our main text this morning. We talked about it last week, but I want to pull it apart a little more this week and look at what it means, uh, God's grace. Uh, Beginning in verse 7, So, this is Paul writing, so to keep me from becoming conceited, (laughs) because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. (laughs) How many of you would like God to decide that you shouldn't become conceited, so he better do something about it? We really wouldn't want that assignment towards us, would we? What is the context here? Paul in in 2 Corinthians, he's defending his ministry. He's he's reminding them of his authority, but he's doing it in such a in such a humble way, and, and he's trying to set things straight with the Corinthians. They've had some false leaders, maybe some false apostles get into their midst and stirring up some unhealthy teaching. Don't know exactly what all of it was, but he, he's defending himself, he even goes on this, uh, kind of he, he calls it foolishness, where he starts to defend his ministry and, and say, look, if, if anyone should have confidence in the flesh, it's me. I'm, I'm a Benjamite, I'm an Israelite, I had the revelation of God, I've had these other revelations. And then he says, but because all this knowledge that Paul has, and all the revelation that he has, and all of the reasons he has to be confident in a fleshly way, in his own credentials or resume... Nobody has a better resume than Paul. And yet God does something to keep Paul from becoming conceited. It's interesting that Paul himself is writing this account of himself. That takes some humility in and of itself, doesn't it? But Paul's been given this thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass him. We don't really know what Paul's thorn was. You know, because it says a messenger of Satan, some people think it was something spiritual, some sort of demonic thing that harassed him. Uh, but it also says a thorn in his flesh. Perhaps he'd been beaten and stoned, he'd been left for dead. I mean, if anyone should have some physical handicaps, it would be Paul. They thought he was dead at other times, he'd been beaten so badly. So chances are Paul probably carried in his flesh some handicaps of some kind, some issues with his body having been beaten so many times. But we don't know exactly what it is he's referring to. Could also be his conscience. I he 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 was one of the most significant persecutors of God's people before he became a Christian. And so it's possible that Paul was tortured by his conscience, what he had done to the people that he was now trying to reach after God transformed his life. Perhaps that was it, and, and we see that in the next passage, or in, in verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Have you ever pleaded with the Lord? Sure, we pray, we throw up quick little Prayers now and again, but once in a while we find ourselves in situations in life where we're not just kind of throwing up a quick prayer. We're desperate. And when we're desperate, we plead. Paul pleaded with God for relief from his situation, whatever it was, this thorn in the flesh. He pleaded with him. But God says to him, verse 9, But he, God, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God was okay with Paul's situation. In fact, he did not accept Paul's request. Request denied. (laughs) But instead, God says, I'm not going to answer this. I'm not going to remove this thorn from you, Paul, but I am going to say this to you. My grace is sufficient for you. It's enough, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast, this is Paul speaking again, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So what is grace really? If God's grace is sufficient, if it was God's answer to Paul in his pleading with God to take this situation away from him, and God says, no, no. My grace is sufficient. I think it's something that you and I ought to understand very well. We use words all the time. We saw this last week with the word thanks or thanksgiving. We use the word thanks so much that it kind of loses its depth or its meaning or we forget the real meaning behind it. Sometimes we, I mean, if you go around and you ask people to define simple words, it can be difficult sometimes. Define thanks to me define grace to me we know what it means because we use it all the time so we have a concept in our head when we use the word but it's very important for us as believers to understand what is god talking about when he says grace when we see this report of god's word what does it really mean that god's grace is sufficient we're going to do a little more word study again this week. Remember, we talked about and I already talked about I already mentioned it this this morning, we talked about Eucharisto. You, meaning well or good, charis meaning grace. Charis is the word we're going to focus on this morning. We see it when we uh, use the word charismatic. Uh We describe ourselves as a charismatic church, and that scares people sometimes because they don't know what that means. In our modern terms, we would say charismatic meaning we're very energetic, we're full of charisma, but really that that comes from the Greek charis, it's grace. When the Bible says that God gave gifts, that he ascended on high and left captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Therefore, some are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Ephesians chapter 4. It's the grace of God that we are gifted. Because God has given us grace, we have gifts. Everything from our natural talents to supernatural gifting, all the things that we see in the scripture, are because God has given it. It's his grace that we would use a word like charismatic. Charismatic charis really means it, there are several words that would it would be translated to in the bible uh, favor disposed to inclined favorable towards leaning towards to share benefit so let's start with this idea of inclining so when when you give someone a gift you 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 Um, A gift is the opposite of something that's owed, right? Like if you work for me, I owe you something. But if I just want to give you a gift, it comes with, hopefully, no strings attached. I've graced you with something. It's the same kind of concept. I've extended to you a gift. I've reached out on my own initiative. Because I care, I'm leaning into you. You know, we, we would use that kind of thinking about leaning into something. You want to lean into a relationship, you want to press into it. We use that in, in, in our uh, spiritual context. We talk, talk about the idea, or in worship we talk about pressing in, and then you kind of go, what does that mean, pressing in? Well, it's, it's kind of to posture yourself in, in, your, in your soul as though you're leaning into, you're pressing into the relationship, you're reaching out for the relationship or for something. That's the whole idea of leaning in or being inclined, extending. Or we do things, you know, there's the literal idea of if I give you a gift, I've graced you with it. But we also use that figuratively as well. If I give you a compliment, if you give me or somebody else a compliment, you've given them grace. When you extend forgiveness, you've graced forgiveness. You've reached out. When you bless somebody, same kind of idea. Something that they don't earn, they didn't work up something in order for you to be forced to repay them, but you have made a decision by your own grace, by your own willingness, your own desire to lean in or to reach out. That's what grace begins with, that idea of leaning in. If there were one thing, I, I think this is really important to get our uh an understanding of, and I think if there were one thing that I would want you to walk away with today, regardless of everything else I'm going to say and everything we're going to look up in the scripture, it would be the idea that you can imagine that God is leaning in toward you. God is reaching out to you. So many times we have this misconception of God that he's actually leaning away, that he's actually doing this. That he's, he's, not, he's not that approachable, that he's not that accepting, but God is always leaning in. He's reaching toward you. And if we can get an understanding of that is actually the nature of God to be gracious to us, it can change our image of the Father God, of who he really is, that he is actually gracious. The opposite being this angry ready to judge, but rather he's ready to lean in to his people. The second idea of grace is, so there's this reaching out, but there's reaching out in favor. When we say, I'm going to do, do me a favor, grab me this, or would you run, do that, do me a favor. What's a favor? A favor is something that is unearned. It communicates the idea of something not owed. And this becomes so important in our fundamental understanding of Christianity in and of itself. That it is not something that can be earned, but it is due to the grace of God. The fact that God is leaning in. The fact that God is reaching out. The fact that God is extending an unowed favor to you. He doesn't owe you anything based on your good looks or good deeds. He owes you nothing but by his grace he's extended favor to you a favor do me a favor do me a favor god give me eternal life that sounds kind of cheap when you say it that way doesn't it and yet that is what he's done he's done you a favor something unowed something unearned that's what grace is it communicates that idea of something not owed it's a blessing In the HELPS Word Studies, I, this just caught me when I was studying this, uh, talking about the word charis. When you see this definition up there, that 5485 is a Strong's number. If you were doing research on it, that's what you would look. It's preeminently used of the Lord's favor, freely extended to, give himself away to people because he is always leaning toward them. Let me ask you a question. Do you really believe that God is leaning toward you? That God is predisposed to favor you? That God is extending himself to you? Unearned, unmerited, undeserved, that is grace. And we have to understand that because it's fundamental to our understanding of Christianity as a whole. If there were a list of top ten words that we would know when we study our Bible, I think grace would be on that top 10 list. Why? Why do I think that? Why do I feel so strongly about grace? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Think of all the things God could have put in that. If, you, if you, There were a blank right there where it says grace. Think of all the things God could have put in there. For by your hard work, for by your prayers, for by going to church every Sunday, for by memorizing the Bible, for by never making a mistake, you will be saved. He could have put all those things in there. He had every right to, but he put the most wonderful word right there. For by grace. You have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one would boast. The very essence of salvation hinges on the idea of God's grace. Not your own doing, a gift, not a result of works. You cannot boast in the fact that you have a relationship with God or that you're going on to eternal life. You have nothing to boast. You could never earn it. You could never achieve it. You can't earn anything from God. That isn't the system he works on. It's all by his choice. It's all by his choice to extend favor to us, to grace us. For you have been saved by God's grace. So if that's how we're saved, by grace through faith, don't you think it's important that we understand what grace is? Yes. Makes me think of Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 30 through 30. Jesus is speaking, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light many times many many times i've contemplated the scripture because it doesn't feel light to me all the time the yoke doesn't feel easy all the time and it makes me question is something wrong with me that the burdens of life are heavy that i feel heavy laden all the time But it did occur to me the other day that if I were having to achieve my salvation, if I were having to achieve eternal life, if I were having to earn time with God or earn a relationship with God or earn my way through the pearly gates, indeed, it would be a much heavier burden than we carry today. Can you imagine having to walk through life carrying the idea that I've am not good. I, I got to be good enough for God or I'm not going to get in or I'm not going to be in his favor or I'm not going to get into heaven. Can you imagine what the weight of that pressure would be to earn it? To be good enough for God and yet, how many of us live that way? How many of us think that way? How many of us see God through that lens of I need to be good enough for God? Now, Inevitably, your mind goes immediately to, so do I get to just misbehave and do whatever I want and I'll still be good enough for God? Uh, That's to treat the word flippantly. But your salvation is not earned. It's not earned. You can't earn it. You can't win it. It wasn't the prayer you prayed. It wasn't all your good deeds since then. You cannot, cannot, cannot earn it. And when I stop and think about that, that you, God just freely gave a gift. All I had to do was accept it. He freely extended it to me. He gifted it to me. Uh, then Then, of course, I immediately go, indeed, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Something significant has been lifted from my shoulders that I would have to earn my salvation through my good deeds. It's very important that we understand grace. Romans chapter 3, verses 22 through 25. For there is no distinction between us, in other words, between all of us. There really is no distinction for all. How many? All. Every one of us is in the same boat in this regard. All, all, all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, we quote that a lot when we're talking about salvation or It's part of what we would call the Roman's road if you're talking about salvation to somebody trying to lead them or uh, convince them of the message of the gospel. But it goes right on. Notice there's a comma there. (laughs) And are, all fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and we are justified by his charis, his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Because of what Jesus Christ has done, that redemptive work of Jesus on the cross has given you the opportunity to receive the extension of the grace of God. It's extended out by definition. It's given And are justified by his grace as a gift. Again, you could fill in that blank. You could replace that word grace with lots of other things. And we do in our day to day lives or in the way we treat one another or in the way we treat God. We plug other words in there. I'm justified by fill in the blank. I'm justified by going to church. I'm justified because I serve on the worship team. I'm justified because I preach half the Sundays. I'm justified because I work for a church. I'm justified because I've Worked really hard. I've, I haven't sinned in years. I've read my Bible every day. All these things justify me, don't they? Don't they do something for me to earn some sort of standing before God? And yet he says, there is no distinction. There's nothing that differentiates you from one another. You are all sinners. We've all sinned. It's one of the most difficult things when I hear it in a, in a public situation or like when I would work on construction job sites prior to my full-time ministry uh, full-time career in ministry, it was always like, I'm just a sinner, you're one of them church-going folk. There was always this distinction. Oh, you're, you're a pastor of a church, I'm sorry, I've been cussing around you this whole time. <laughs> it's like, man, we're all sinners. Stop trying to make this distinction that somehow the, 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 because the person goes to church, they're holier, or because they read their Bible, they're holier. They're somehow better or more. They've earned some sort of standing before God, and they're in his good graces because they've earned it, which would be an oxymoron, actually. It would be a contradiction. Because he earned the grace, it wouldn't be grace if it was earned. By definition, it wouldn't happen that way. And it, ma- it really makes me sad when I hear that. Like, oh, you're, you're a pastor. I'm just a sinner. Like, what don't you understand about the gospel? We're all in this. There is no distinction. Between us, we we have all sinned, we all fall short of the glory of God, and we are all justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward, okay, there's some grace language there. Put forward, extended, gave. That's grace language. Who God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Again, it's received by faith, not necessarily apprehended. It's extended to you. You simply believe it, have faith in it. We get in this little catchy thing like, did I earn it because I had faith? I I would argue that even you you can't construct your faith. It's a gift of God. It isn't some sort of emotion you muster up or some sort of knowledge that you pull together and comprehend. It's believing. It's something internal. It's something invisible. It's a belief with an action and yet totally unearned, impossible to earn. In fact, the scripture in the New Testament is full of warnings to not embark on a journey of trying to earn your favor from God because in fact, you will condemn yourself. You will find yourself in an insurmountable situation because sin cannot be overcome apart from God. It cannot be overcome apart from the free gift of grace that God has given you. It's so important for us as believers to really comprehend and understand and even be able to explain the extent of God's grace. Because out there in the world and in the community where you work and where you play and all the things that you do, the the most powerful thing that you can bring into someone's life is the grace of God. The grace of God. So often people are already predisposed to the idea that God is leaning away from them, not towards them. And yet God is always leaning toward. He is predisposed towards grace. And yet the world sees him leaning away, pulling back, holding at arm's length all the time. But that, that defies the definition of grace. Grace is leaning in. God is always leaning in. And, and that, that's such a message of hope and good news if we can carry that with us into the world around us. And with the people that we're with, God is leaning in. Your justification will be by grace, the free gift of God. I want to read to you, I uh, just yesterday, November 28th, Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest, is a devotional uh, that I've been using recently. And it talks about this issue. In fact, it's... it's uh, uses Romans 3.24, which we just read, was the main scripture yesterday in the devotional. And I'm just going to read the first part of it, but the title is, The Riches of the Destitute. The gospel of the grace of God awakens an intense longing in human souls and an equally intense resentment. Because the truth that it reveals is not palatable or easy to swallow. There's a certain pride in people that causes them to give and give, but to come and accept a gift is another thing. I will give my life to martyrdom. I will dedicate my life to service. I will do anything. But do not humiliate me to the level of the most hell-deserving sinner And then tell me that all I have to do is accept the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. We have to realize that we cannot earn or win anything from God through our own efforts. We must either receive it as a gift or do without it. The greatest spiritual blessing we receive is when we come to the knowledge that we are destitute. Until we get there, our Lord is powerless. He can do nothing for us as long as we think we are sufficient in ourselves. We must enter into His kingdom through the door of destitution. As long as we are, quote unquote "rich, particularly in the area of pride or independence, God can do nothing for us. Ooh. Powerful, but true and important. We are all sinners. We all fall short. We are all destitute. And until we really let go of the idea that we must save ourselves and that we must accept this free gift, there isn't much God can do. Pride and independence are one of the most, you know, egregious things. This idea that I am self-sufficient kind of reminds us back of our our first passage that we looked at. My grace is sufficient. (laughs) My grace is sufficient. The epitome of grace is the cross. The epitome of grace. The greatest demonstration of grace. The greatest evidence of God's grace is the cross. In the cross we find salvation, sanctification, healing, many other benefits because of what happened at the cross. But our message ultimately, fundamentally is is the cross. John 3, 16, 17, and 18. For God so loved the world. Statement of motivation. This is why, why he loved. Before we get into any of these other sentences, here's what we have to observe about the situation. For God so loved. And I've talked about this many times, but I don't think it'll ever get old the rest of our lives. It does not say, for God was so sick and tired of the way it was. <laughs> it doesn't say because God was so sick of people. Because God was wanting a change. Because God was whatever. What was the motivation? Love. For God so loved the world. He preferred it. He gave preference to the world. This is what love really is. He gave preference to the world. Here's what he did. Gave his only son. A gift, the greatest gift. He extended himself into the creation. He became the incarnation of God. God in the flesh. The son of God. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Good news, don't you think? Did not come to condemn. But in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. (laughs) It doesn't say, whoever is good enough is not condemned. Whoever doesn't sin is not condemned. Whoever goes to church every Sunday is not condemned. That isn't what it says. All those are important things. I don't mean to minimize those things or suggest that they aren't a thing. They're a thing. But we must understand the right priority of things. Ultimately, those who believe are not condemned. Those who believe are not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. We're talking about the power of the cross, how important in the message of grace the cross is. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. There's only one thing Paul would boast about, the cross. When he looks at the grace of God and he sees the benefit, he could have boasted about healing, he could have boasted about gifts, he could have boasted about revelations, he could have boasted about all these things. What was the thing he boasted? in? The cross. The greatest demonstration of God's grace for our lives is in the cross. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The power of God is in the cross. The source of our relationship with God, the source of any spiritual power we might have access to, our source is the cross. Because of that propitiation put forth by God, that gift given by God, that bloodshed on the cross, that is the only place by which we draw our access to God, a gift that he gave freely to anyone who would receive it. It is the power of God for us. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. (coughs) Sounds familiar? But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Both the power and the wisdom of God are in this gift of himself to us. He leaned in and he gave and through his blood shed on the cross, that's where our power is. That's where our wisdom is. So often we get caught up, and, and I'm, I'm a big fan of apologetics and things where we, uh, you know, we debate about the existence of God and the things of God. But really, the one thing that carries any real power for us is the cross. And at the end of the day, it's folly to people who are perishing. It's never going to make sense. It doesn't even make sense now. It's so contrary to our worldly nature In our natural way of thinking, that someone would have to shed their blood on our behalf. That the creator of the universe, the God of all things, who has every right to wipe out the creation if he wants, chooses rather to lean in and give. And gave of himself. He's graced us with eternal life and relationship with himself all through the cross. Let's go back to what Paul had to say. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient. So that grace, that gift, that extension of God, that God leaning in, it's enough. Paul didn't like his situation. He, By his own estimation, he didn't have enough. He needed something more. He needed this thorn removed. He needed his circumstances changed or his body healed or whatever it was he wanted. He wanted it different. It wasn't good enough for him. And we can all relate to that in some area of our life right now, I'm sure. God, it's not enough. There's not enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough patience. I, don't, I need something to overcome my weaknesses. I need Whatever your situation may be, whatever your mind is spending all of its time focusing on, you can say, God, this is not enough. And God says, sorry, request denied. My grace is sufficient. My grace is enough. Sufficient means enough. The quantity which I've extended to you is enough, Paul. You have what you need, even when Paul didn't realize it. So, of course, Paul, being the good man that he is, changes his, changes his tune. Therefore, I will be content in all of these things. Focus on verse 10, uh, for Christ's sake. For Christ's sake, then, for the sake of Christ, for who? Christ. For his purposes, for his kingdom, for his reputation, for what he's doing on the earth. Not me, him. Not, not my rights, not my perspective, not my ideals, not what I want out of my life. Not for my sake, but for his sake. He's the priority. His kingdom is a priority. What he wants is the priority. So for his sake, I will be content in these things. Weaknesses. What are weaknesses? Handicaps, illnesses, if you take, I I went in and I dug into these words and and the words in the Greek that they used. what all could they be translated as to give us a full gamut of the understanding of what Paul was talking about. And and when he says in weaknesses, they talk physical weaknesses, handicaps, illnesses, situations of dependence on others or being in need of assistance. Very well could have been Paul's situation, been beaten as many times as he was. But Paul was content in his physical weaknesses. Or even when they were sick, he talks about Epaphroditus, who nearly died. Yet Paul was content. He was content in insults. This word for insults is hubris. You would recognize that word in the English. Excessive pride and arrogance. Damaging violence. Causing outrage or carelessness. So insults are, they're careless. Wounding things that people do and say. Oh, it's an awful thing to be insulted, for people to lash out and slash at you violently with their words, with their opinions, with their criticisms. And yet Paul was content because God's grace is sufficient for his situation. Hardships. What are hardships? Forceful pressure, pressuring situations that require action. We know what hardships are. We come under pressure and we have to take actions in order to navigate that pressure. It's called a hardship. A difficult situation. We're in the pressure cooker. And yet when we're in our hardships, we're to be content. Content. Trusting God's grace is sufficient. Persecutions. What is a persecution? It's to be hunted or attempted to be conquered or obliterated. Christians experience persecution all over the world. What does God call us to? Be content. Recognize that his grace is sufficient. He wins in the end. And he saves us in the end. And while we don't think we have enough or that our situation doesn't measure up, we're to be content. Calamities. Ever have calamity? Narrow space. Confinement. Internal distress. Anguish. Are all words... That calamity can be defined as. Would you stand, please? In all of these things that Paul endured, he was content with them. Are you? Can you be content in them? Can you recognize God's gift of grace in those situations? It's difficult. Because we get in these mental gymnastics sometimes. Sometimes. Where when we don't see what we want to see, we think something must be wrong. I'm not seeing the healing I wanted to see, so it must begin with me or my flaws. We're not seeing the circumstances we want to see. We're not seeing the provision we want to see. Something must be wrong with me. God fix it. And sometimes he says, my grace is sufficient for you. It's enough. I've given you enough. Be content in all of these things. Father, we thank you today for your great grace upon our lives. God, that you lean in. You're a God who leans in, who is looking to the interests, who is listening and attentive, who's reaching out with yourself into your creation. You haven't abandoned it. You haven't abandoned its people. But Lord, you are looking and leaning into us and extending favor to us. And Father, we it's a debt we could never repay. It's something we could never earn or deserve. We don't deserve any of it. But you've chosen to be gracious with us. And our reciprocation of your grace is thankfulness. I am thankful. Your grace is good. Your grace does well by me. Your grace is sufficient. So, Father, I pray that you'd be stirring in each one of us thankfulness for your great grace upon our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That's the conclusion of our service today, you guys. Uh, We do have people here to pray with you if you'd like to receive prayer on the side of the stage here. Otherwise, have a great week. We'll see you next week.